Well, this morning we're putting the uh, finishing touches on our series that we've been calling Poster Child. Spending the last two weeks and then this morning thinking about what it looks like to be the ideal follower of Jesus. What, what does it look like to be the kind of follower of Jesus that Jesus would want you to, that would, Jesus would put you up on the poster and say, everybody should be a little bit more like them, right? What does that look like? That's kind of what we've been talking about because as you read the scriptures, what, what is absolutely true is that the ideal follower of Jesus, that poster child, isn't necessarily uh, who you think it might be. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that the poster child of the person who follows Jesus is not the most religious person you know. The, the tie-wearing, Bible-thumping, uh, church-attending, you know, you don't drink or dance or smoke or chew or hang around with girls that do. Like, uh, it's not the most religious. I mean, not that any of those things are bad. Feel free to do any of those, to follow any of those guidelines. But, um, but it's not the person who racks up the most religious points. That is the ideal follower of Jesus. That's not how he measures a person's devotion to him. It's not the most religious person you know. It's actually the most repentant person you know. The person who is most aware of the ways that they haven't been uh, resembling Jesus in the way that they live their life, who, who regret that deeply, who cry out for forgiveness for that, and who want to align their lives uh, with the person of Jesus. That's the poster child. Maybe rough around the edges, maybe uh, a bit of a spiritual screw up, maybe someone who's frankly just bad at being religious, but whose heart desperately longs to connect with God through Christ and to live in a Jesus word kind of direction. That's the poster child. Now that doesn't mean, and this is what we talked about last week, that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter how you live. You know, I can live however you want as long as you feel bad about it after. No, that's not the point. Because last week we looked at a text where Jesus was talking about God's, you know, frustration, use that word because we don't have a better one, God's frustration with people who aren't producing what we call producing the fruit of repentance in their life. When you regret the person you've been and desperately long to align your life with the person of Jesus, over time, the expectation is you begin to produce the fruit of repentance in your life. Your life begins to demonstrate the difference, right? You begin to grow towards a deepening love for God and a deepening love for yourself because you know you've been forgiven by God and loved by God and you have a deepening love for the people around you and a deepening love for the world over time. Because you're somebody who has consistently responded to the invitation of Jesus. Well, that's what we want to talk about this morning. Is what it means to respond to the invitation of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to pick up the story with a third story that Jesus tells. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can follow along. That's where we're going to be. And in 22 verse 1 it says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, telling a story, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now you have to understand, a royal wedding in the ancient world 
is one of the most important, one of the most uh, relevant or significant events for a nation or a city-state or whatever the king governs over. This was, a, culturally speaking, this was a profoundly important uh, cultural event because you're solidifying political alliances. You're, in effect, making arrangements for the future of the nation because you're finding a queen for the guy who's going to be king. And it's just a very important event. And everybody in the nation or in the area that was ruled by the king would have wanted to be a part of it. And quite frankly, it's, it's no different today. I mean, it's not that long ago that William and Kate got married. And if you watched William and Kate's wedding, then uh, you are one of the people who understands how profoundly important it is and significant it is when royalty uh, gets married. And so the king, his son's getting married and he throws them this incredible wedding banquet the whole nation would have been engaged and interested in but the at the reception only a select few would have been invited only the most important people in the nation the most culturally the cultural elites the the most influential political figures government officials foreign dignitaries that kind of thing for them they put out the fine china and the sterling silver and the crystal stemware and the wine flows, and they, they got food fit for a king. It's just a, a majestic state dinner that would have gone on for days. And in the preparation for this banquet for his son, the king sends out invitations, gets RSVPs from all of the people he's invited. And then it says in verse 3, it says, He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. The moment arrives, the food is ready, it's hot, it's sitting on the table, the the tables are set, the decorations, everything is exactly perfect, and the king says to the servants, now go out and find all of the people who RSVP'd, yes, and tell them that now is the moment. In our home, we don't have quite as elaborate a system, we have a tiny little bell that sits in the kitchen and when the food is hot and ready on the table and the places are set and we're ready for dinner a little tiny ring of the bell and you can hear those feet stampeding from all over the house except the king sends out his servant and nobody comes stampeding in fact it says they refused to come literally translated the verb means they didn't want to I don't know if you've ever planned an event or party or something where people said they were coming and then they didn't. Uh, But every December, uh, my wife and I have a a Christmas cookie decorating party in our home. And uh, my wife and I do that together. We're not equally significant in the production production of this event but we we have four girls and each of the girls are allowed to invite two of their friends to come over to cookie decorating party because I have a limited tolerance for little girls sitting around the dining room table but but we get the the dining room filled with little girls baking cookies and decorating whatever it's tons of fun a couple years ago one of my daughters invites her two friends and they both RSVP yes we'll be there morning of the party comes in one of her friends phones that morning. Her mom calls and says, uh, my daughter can't come. She's really sick. And, you know, it was genuinely sad. But, but at least her other friend was coming. The party came and it 
went and uh, our friend never showed up. Despite saying that she was coming. And on a day when we were supposed to be celebrating the decorating of cookies, we were consoling uh, our daughter through the frustration and sadness and embarrassment and insecurity of wondering why nobody came to her party. It was awful. This is deeper than that kind of awful for the king. This is downright insulting. This is an affront to the king. You, I invited you and you said you would come and you didn't. But he responds with grace. Verse 4, it says, Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. He says, Maybe they didn't understand. Maybe they didn't get the message. Everything's ready now. You kind of get a, a sense for how big an, an affair this is. In the ancient world, slaughtering one fattened calf would feed a hundred people. He says, uh, my fattened cattle have been slaughtered and my oxen. You're talking thousands of people invited to this event. Everything's ready. He says, come to the wedding banquet. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. When it says they paid no attention, the verb really means they just ignored the servants. They didn't even notice. They just completely disregarded them. Um, they had no interest in coming. In fact, they were kind of distracted by other stuff that they had going on in life. A couple of them had to go to work, and some of them wanted to spend some family time and... Uh, Somebody else was heading into the country for the week. There was just other stuff that mattered more than going to this banquet for the king that they had said yes. Some of them were actually angry that the king kept sending servants and they mistreated the servants and killed them, which in fact in the first century is a de facto declaration of war. So in verse 7 it says the king was enraged. And he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. So I guess they're not coming. Ah. Uh, then he says to his servants, verse 8, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. The king says, listen, I've got all the food prepared. The tables are all set. Everything's, you know, piping hot, ready to eat. I don't know how they kept it hot for the whole time that the king had to march to the city and destroy it and, and then come back. But it was still piping hot. It was ready to go. And he says, I, I don't care who you find. Go out into the streets. Wander the streets of the city. Grab anybody who will listen. Drag anybody who will come to the wedding banquet. In fact, it says go to the street corners. What it means is the streets as they exit the city and head off into the country. Don't even stay here, around here, go find people who aren't even from here. I don't care where you get people. Go and fill this banquet hall full of people because we're going to celebrate this wedding. And the servants go out and they just start tapping people. Come to the king. I mean, just imagine, right? Kate and William's wedding as the, as the carriage leaves Westminster Abbey and heads over to Buckingham Palace. You've got servants following behind, talking to the crowds that are lining the street and saying, no, come, come. The queen wants you there. She wants to feed you. She wants you to be a part of the event. Just show up. Let's go. Let's go. And everybody just files into this party, so excited, can't even believe the honor that it is to be included in this royal affair. And the room is 
filled with, honestly, this most ragtag bunch of guests, like just filled with riffraff, right? People from every socioeconomic strata of society, the rich and the poor, and the old and the young, the employed, the unemployed, like the foreigners, the people who are from close by, the citizens, just anybody and everybody who would agree to come was standing there. It even says the bad and the good and mentions the bad first, <laughs> as though this were a badge of honor. I don't even care. There were the guests that you wanted there, guests you didn't want there. Like it was just, it didn't matter. The banquet was open for everybody. And the party's rolling. And the DJ's got a beat. And the dance floor is full. And the wine is flowing. Verse 11 says, When the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How'd you get in here without wedding clothes, friends? The man was speechless. The king's wandering around the room. He's glad-handing. He's working the room. He's shaking people's hands, greeting folks and whatever. All of a sudden, he comes across this guy who's showing up in these greasy work coveralls. He's got steel toe boots on. They're covered in mud and his hands are dirty and there's grime under his fingernails. His face is a mess. His hair is all messed up by the hard hat that he still has in his hand. And the king looks at him and he looks around the room. Everybody else, everybody else in the room is dressed for the occasion. I mean, it's a room full of riffraff. They don't look, you know, they don't have tuxes with tails or anything like that. But when they got the invitation, they went home and took a shower and got out that wedding suit that they bought in 1987. They ironed a shirt and put a tie on and combed their hair and did their best to make themselves presentable and appropriate for this occasion. And here's this one guy who gets an invitation to the banquet and just strolls in in his work clothes and doesn't care. The king looks at him, he says, who, who do you think you are showing up at my kid's wedding dressed like this? And the guy's got no answer, he had no excuse. Verse 13, then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The king said, you know what, get, this, get him out of here. Is deserve to be here. And that's the story that Jesus tells. It's two sets of invitations that go out. Invitations to those that you would assume are worthy, but they prove themselves to be unworthy, and they don't get to experience the banquet. Invitations to those who we assume to be unworthy, and they, by and large, except for this guy, prove themselves to be worthy. And they get to experience the glory of a royal feast celebrating the wedding of the king's son. What is this story all about? Well, this idea of a banquet is an ancient Jewish metaphor. For the way the world will be, what life will feel like, according to the Jews who are anticipating Messiah, the banquet was the perfect picture of what life will feel like when God sends his Messiah into the world to rescue the world from sin. When the Messiah comes into the world and, and rescues 
individuals from sin, from the sin that's destroying their hearts and destroying their souls and destroying their lives. When, when the Messiah comes and begins to unravel the power of evil in the world, which is undermining God's beautiful vision of the kind of place he always wanted the world to be and the kind of community he wanted humanity to be. When the Messiah comes and deals with sin and evil and rescues the world, what life will feel like in that moment, it'll feel like a party. That goes on forever. Well, the church picked up on that metaphor, maybe because of stories like this one. And they said, it's not just any party, it's a wedding banquet. It's a wedding reception. Where we're going to celebrate for all of the eternity, the coming together of Jesus, God's son. Who's marrying his church, the people who have said yes to Jesus. And the love of Jesus for the church and the love of church for Jesus is going to draw them together in unity in the presence of the love of God for all of eternity. That's what we're going to celebrate. God's love for us, our love for God, our love for Jesus, Jesus' love for us, our love for each other, our love for God's creation. It's going to be a a wedding reception that lasts forever except no slideshows or drunken cursed toasts. That's the way the church envisioned the life that God was inviting us into. Because God is inviting you into a life, Jesus says, life until it overflows. Life like you've never experienced before. A life of learning to love God with everything that you are. Learning that God loves you with everything that he has. Learning that God is prepared to forgive you for all of the ways that you've stepped outside of the kind of person you want to be and the kind of person he wants you to be. And, and God is prepared because of Jesus to forgive you of that and to embrace you in relationship and adopt you into his family as his son or his daughter. He's inviting you into a life where you learn what it means to love yourself. To recognize the sinfulness and the brokenness in your own soul. And to begin to deal with it, you know, to allow God to begin to deal with it so that over time you begin to grow into the healthiest version of yourself that you've ever been. Holy and whole and loving and the kind of person you've always wished you could be. It's a kind of life where God's inviting us into the opportunity to live in relationship with each other that's permeated with love where our relationships with each other aren't strained and awkward and bitter and angry and quarrelsome. But they're filled with joy and kindness and peace. The kind of mutual commitment where we live our life for each other. We live our life towards each other. We live our life with each other. And we walk with each other towards the life that God has for us. He's inviting us into the kind of life where we're just growing in our love for this world. Seeing opportunities where God can bring healing and hope into the brokenness and darkness of our world. And being willing to be a part of it. Sacrificing just like Jesus did of ourselves so that somebody else can experience the power and the presence of the life and love of God for themselves. 
It's a life like nothing else you could ever imagine. Uh, Jesus says a party that begins today, not that everything's perfect, but it's a life of fullness and hope and abundance and joy that begins today and goes on for all of eternity. And the only thing you need to do to experience that life is say yes to Jesus, is to RSVP with a yes. To say yes to the idea, because I know that some in our community aren't here yet, but I'm trying to push you forward to say yes to the idea that there is a God who loves you, a God who knows what's best for you, a God who wants what's best for you, a God who will give you what's best for you, a God who showed up, who came for you in the person of Jesus, who shows us what God is like, who shows us what we can be like, who died on a cross to forgive us for all the ways that we're not like what we could be, and who was raised from the dead in order to give us the spiritual power and strength to become everything God dreams we would be. To give our life wholly over to him and say, I want my life to be about you now. I embrace your forgiveness. I ask you to change me, make me about you. You, not that all your questions have to be answered, all your doubts dealt with. It doesn't have to be this big, dramatic thing. But it's just with your mouth saying yes to Jesus. But I think what we get from the story is that RSVPing to Jesus actually requires more than that. It's not just saying yes with your mouth, it's saying yes with your life. Because there were folks in the story who said yes to the king. Yes, I'm going to be there. Yes, I want to be a part of the party. Yes, I want that life. But then when the moment came to experience it, they just uh, didn't show up. They actually never showed up to experience it. And I think there are people like that in churches all over the place, including our church, who have said with their mouth, yes, and, you know, prayed a prayer at some point or whatever, said yes to Jesus. I want my life to be about that in sincerity and enthusiasm, genuinely wanted that, maybe even got baptized as a way of publicly declaring that your life belongs to Jesus now. But they just haven't shown up to experience it. They haven't been a part of us as we gather for worship. They haven't been a part of our community and relationship with each other. They haven't been a part of the way God's inviting us to serve the poor and the outcast and the forgotten and the ignored. They just, like the folks in the story, have just had other stuff that mattered more. Ah, work got busy and I wanted to hang with my friends and oh, there was a hockey tournament again. Or that's the night of the dance recital or whatever it is. I have a friend, I won't go into the details. I have a friend who literally walked away from his faith for Scrabble. He wanted to play Scrabble tournaments, which always happened on Sunday morning. And after a year and a half of Sundays with Scrabble instead of Sundays in worship, he had completely lost interest in a life of faith. You, you can't just... Say yes to Jesus with your mouth. You have to say yes to Jesus with your life. You have to show up to experience the life that he has for you. Because all of those who said yes with their mouth but who didn't show up, they never got to experience the party. But it's actually even deeper than that. 
Because you've got to say yes with your mouth and yes with your life in the way that you show up. But you also have to say yes with your soul. Because there was one character in the story who did show up. He said yes to the RSVP and then he showed up. But he showed up in his work clothes. He showed up having come inappropriately dressed for the wedding. Let me say it this way. He showed up refusing to change. I think there's some people like that in our community too. People who have said yes to Jesus. People who have showed up. They've participated in our community and in the worship and in the community and in the service. And they're honest and earnest and sincere and they're not playing religious games or whatever. They, they genuinely want the life. But there is a part of their soul that they have just said to Jesus, I'm not prepared to change this. I'll show up and I'll be a part of it, but I will only show up and be a part of it on my terms, not on your terms. And guess what? That guy missed out on the party too. Because yes, you have to say yes with your mouth and decide Jesus is what I want with my life. And yes, you have to say yes with your life and actually show up and be a participant in the thing that God is doing among us. But you also have to say yes to Jesus with your soul and say, I want you to dress me in the way that you want me to dress. I'm prepared to change, to be a part of what you're doing. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Those are the wedding clothes. The willingness to show up and let, Paul says it elsewhere in this passage, to let Jesus take off the stuff you have been wearing, the life you have been living, and to clothe you with a wardrobe that looks an awful lot like Jesus. Because friends, the life that God is inviting you into is the most amazing thing you can ever imagine a heart of repentance that wants that more than anything, a life that's willing to be transformed in order to bear the fruit of repentance is the life that gets to experience everything that Jesus has for us. Will you say yes to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I know that in our community there are folks who have never said yes to you in any way, who are still debating, who are still teetering, who are still feeling the tug of war in their spirit of times, feeling like maybe they'd consider committing to you and at times not wanting to step out in that way. And I pray, Jesus, this morning that you would, your spirit would prompt in their hearts the courage to say no. That life that Jesus offers, that is the most fulfilling and satisfying sounding thing I've ever heard. I just want to know what it feels like to love God and to love me and to love people and to love the world. Would you give them the courage to say yes to you? And God, I know that there are folks who are here this morning, 
who've said yes to you. They want the life that you offer, but it, there's so many other things that are distracting and sidetracking. So many other things that at times seem more important or more life-giving or more fun or more something else and they're endangered of not actually showing up for the life you're inviting them into? Would you give them the courage? Would you give them the trust to believe that you know what's best and to allow them to choose you? Choose to say yes to you with their life. And I know there are some who are either scared or stubborn or unwilling to look into the parts of their soul that they don't want you to touch, that know that they know don't align with who you are and what you've called them to be. And yet, for whatever reason, that sin, that brokenness, whatever it is, still has a grip on their soul. Would you give them the strength to open their hands and let go and say, you know what, it's time for a change of outfit. It's time for me to take off the clothes of the person I've been. It's time for God to begin to dress me more like Jesus in this area of my life. Because this thing you've invited us into is unbelievable. We're not worthy. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. It's a gift that you want to give. It's an invitation you've extended. Can you help us see it clearly for its beauty and its majesty? And would you help us embrace it with everything that we are so that our lives would never be the same. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.